When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome again to Moments That Rock, here weekly now. Um, today, we're going to have part two of Steve Talent. Steve Talent ran IRS Records in the UK. I worked with him with bands like REM and The Police and stuff. And um, his uh, previous podcast, you can just trail back and, and find and listen to, and he can give you a more uh, informative guide into who he is. But this time, we're going to hear him talk about um, some moments that involve Black Sabbath, Tony Iommi, and REM, some great stories about REM. So without further ado, we will welcome Mr. Steve Talent. So Moments That Rock. In case you didn't know, Moments That Rock is part of the Pantheon group of podcasts. There's been a lot of interesting moments that rocked for me. I suppose one of the ones that um, I can sort of say was fairly seismic for me was somehow we got involved with Black Sabbath. And the um, the deal was cut for IRS to sign Black Sabbath. I was of an age so that just pre-punk obviously I was very much growing up with the Deep Purples the Black Sabbaths and those bands that were in the early 70s so you know Black Sabbath at that point you know had made all those amazing albums but then Ozzy had left the band and Tony was doing records that were still under the name of Black Sabbath but didn't have Ozzy Osbourne in the band so anyway we got Miles decided they were signing the band and then sort of popped in and said, we've signed Black Sabbath and then walked out again. And 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 it was like, okay, well, I, I guess that's my job to sort out Black Sabbath. So it's a bit like, you know, meeting your idols. I, I was extremely nervous about meeting Tony Iommi and um, because, you know, he's such an important guitar player. And I was dispatched to um, Birmingham to meet Tony. And I, you know, really had this definite thing in my mind that he would be in this Gothic place and with an upside down cross and, you know, it'll be all kind of black when I went in and I walked in and he was sitting having a cup of tea and a biscuit. And he just sort of said, all right, what's your name? I said to Steve, he went, nice to meet you. Do you want a cup of tea? And I said, yeah. And we sat down and had a cup of tea and a biscuit. And it was the complete opposite of what you imagined going to be, you know, the the the, the Tony Iommi, you know, with the upside down cross. So um, that was a big moment for me. I, I, I really I really felt, wow, I'm I'm now in a, you know, a place where I'm meeting my idols. And um so that was a, definitely a moment that rocked for me. One, that, you know, one one without doubt. And we made uh, a record with Black Sabbath uh, uh, called Headless Cross, 
and I got to meet um, uh, Cozy Powell, who was playing drums for Black Sabbath at the time, who sadly lost his life not long afterwards in a motorcycle accident. And um, through that association with um, Tony, I then got to work with Tony and Ronnie James Dio on a Black Sabbath album called Dehumanizer. And um, again, Ronnie James Dio, who had been the vocalist in uh, Rainbow, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, and I was a big Deep Purple fan, you know, before pre-punk. So I suppose as a as a fledgling musician, in, you know, when I was you know 15 years old, 16 years old, Deep Purple were one of those bands that, you know, you definitely, you know, if you were into rock and guitars, Deep Purple were very important. So I had to go to Germany, to Munich, to oversee the making of this album and Ronnie James Dio was um was there and Giza Butler had now rejoined Tony so we we had two original Black Sabbath members again incredibly amazing to be in a room with you know Tony Iommi Giza Butler and Ronnie James Dio and that was an incredible moment you know sitting in the studio in Munich and thinking, wow, I can't believe I'm here and having an impact and, you know, being allowed to be a part and be present during the recordings and working on all the graphics and, you know, liaison with all of that project. So that was a real big moment for me, for sure. Definitely a moment that rocked. And uh, I, I, I'll always remember it, Tony as being, as he is, a, you know, incredibly nice guy and, and totally charming. One of the moments that rocked for me, for sure, was in around about 1983. Um, I think it was my first trip to America. Um, I was um, in New York, actually, and with a gentleman called Michael Plen. Michael Plen was IRS Records radio plugger. And the pair of us would, we, the, the label had just signed REM to um they'd released uh, an ep but the murmur album had been completed and i was very much a fan of what i'd heard i thought they were fantastic so um we were flown up to buffalo and then we got a car and we we drove across to toronto to crem in a very small club in toronto a little sort of basement club and um, uh, it's in the books, you know, the gig, I've looked it up and, and it did, it's not a figment of my imagination because the actual show is 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 one of the ones that's listed. And anyway, I, that was the first, I'd heard the record and, um, you know, there'd been some bits of press, but it was my chance to meet the band and go and see them. And so we went across to uh, from Buffalo via um, Niagara Falls to Toronto and, um, went down into this basement and I wasn't sure what REM were going to be like because if you remember the first album, uh, Murmur, um, you know, the vocals were very low down in the in the mix and um, it was definitely a, you know, it was a critic's kind of favourite and it was the kind of record that you, you, if you loved that kind of music, you really wanted it. But I remember we were we weren't sure whether the band would 
be able to find an audience in in England because it was very very much a, you know it was definitely a, a, a an alternative record college alternative record and I went down into the um club and on stage were REM you know Bill and Michael and everyone and it was wow they were literally the tightest band I'd ever seen and Peter Buck was you know the guitar playing was just beyond belief and they sort of belted through this set most of the first album and then came back on and did an ABBA cover and I was like wow this band you know you listen to the record but this band like are are an amazing band and then of course it dawned on me the reason that that American guitar bands are so good is that they probably were playing bars and, you know, and playing parties and like having to do covers, you know, for tips and so on. And they were literally unbelievable. And I, and at that moment, I I said, right, we got to get that band to England. They are going to blow up massively. They are fantastic. And we got them to England and um, they turned up and, uh, Miles Copeland had a house in St. John's Wood. I had a flat in Maida Vale. So anyway, the, the the plan was they were going to stay at Miles Copeland's house and we were doing two shows. We were doing the Marquee Club in Wardle Street and Dingwalls. Something happened. They couldn't get into Miles's house. The housekeeper wasn't there or something. So I had to put them into my tiny little flat in Maida Vale. So we're all in, you know, this little flat, you know, this Michael Stipe and everyone, and we're sitting on a little sofa and and it was like, hey guys, welcome to England. And yeah, I think they were like, wow, this is kind of small. And I said, don't worry, we're, we're Miles' house is only over to, you'll be in soon enough. Anyway, they had to stay at my place for a night. And it- Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It was um, the two shows that happened. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Um, were the Dingles show and the Marquee. I think Marquee was first, Dingles might have been second. You're listening to Moments That Rock, part of the Pantheon group of podcasts, and we'll get back to Steve Tanner with more stories and his Moments That Rock. There are some historic shows that you attended in your life, and, and, and of course, you remember them. I'm sure Tony has a, a first show that really, you know, is stuck in his brain. But I remember I was at both shows, but I remember the Dingwall show was particularly good. Marquee was great. It was a great show. But the Dingwalls show, that Dingwalls is a club in Camden, um, the band, you know, good audience, you know, there was a buzz, you know, there, you know, there was a lot of people there. But I that was where I met Barbara Sharone. Barbara Sharone um is probably the most celebrated publicist, I think, in music. You know, she works with the Rolling Stones. We, we both talk about that show as being the moment that you looked at that band, R.E.M., and, and you knew that that was something special, that they were going to be one of the greats. And, of course, they went on, did six albums for IRS, of which I worked on every album up until uh, the time that they departed the label. And, and our biggest success, I think, was the document album which had the song the one i love which was their kind of breakthrough radio single but the interesting thing about working with a band like rem and i've used this throughout my career i suppose in terms of the work i've done as a you know working with artists um is that the greatest thing is to be able to be honest about your music and understand what the consequences are of your actions. So by that, I mean, when REM brought their record into IRS each time they made a record, you know, Miles Copeland would be one of those guys who would sit at the desk and listen to the record and go, there's no hit record there or you need to do this or that. But he couldn't do that with REM. They weren't the kind of band that wanted any kind of input. They wanted to make their record and when when you're marketing music, you know, most of the people who worked at IRS were music fans. They weren't music professionals. These were not people who, had, you know, worked on Supertramp or something. These were all kids from, you know, like me, who had come from the alternative music, punk scene, college rock, whatever it might be. So, of course, 
we didn't really know about that stuff. We were just enthusiasts about the music. But Miles Copeland was the kind of guy who would say, you can't hear the vocals. You know, the, you need to, the, the, the mix is all wrong. And 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 the great thing about R.E.M. is they used to sit there and go, yeah, we know. That's how we like it. And so when Miles would say, but you do realize we won't be able to get past this level unless we can get it onto these stations, they would say, yeah, we know. That's fine. And off they'd go, and off they'd go on the road and tour. And each album that we put out did better than the one before. So there were no huge hits. There was no, oh, my God, it was just growth, you know, and they got bigger and bigger and bigger. And in England, their audience grew really, really you know, it was really exponential and same thing in the United States. And it was so impressive to see a band who understood that you couldn't have the kind of success that other bands were having without making compromises, right? Some bands naturally wrote hits, right? And they just, you know, that was that was the police, you know, Sting was pumping out hits. He, he didn't he didn't need to be told. It was it was it was just the magic of what they did. Whereas REM, it was like, you know, guys, you know, you need a single. No, we don't. That that that's the record. You know, we like it the way it is. And but they were right about everything that they did and they called it right. And then when they eventually left IRS, they signed to Warner Brothers and all of a sudden they started pouring out all these really commercial hits. <laughs> and so I think they knew what they were doing all the time. Right. I think they they wanted to build that foundation of solid credibility and then drop some big hit records like Shiny Happy People. I mean, that would have never been on an IRS record. You know, it, it, it was like they knew everything that they were doing. And and it was just remarkable. And it was and, it, and of course, they've, you know, become, you know, obviously one of the biggest bands of all time, aren't they, R.E.M.? You know, they're just literally up there with with the greats. So um, but it was really impressive. And I often say to bands, you know, the courage of your convictions is very important because, you you can compromise to to have a hit record, but it might not be the best thing for you in the end. It might be great because maybe that's what you really want is a hit record, in which case, you know, use this producer or change the mix or do what you want to do. But if you can get it to be at the way the way that that that, that they did it with the way REM did it is really what a lot of bands dream of i think and you too i think you know because tony you've had a an association with you too so you 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 remember that um i can honestly say that they're a similar band aren't they you know they they came through doing the music they wanted it did connect and it took time but as they developed those songs connected even bigger but you know you would never say oh you know you two compromise to get anything they they did it the way they did it and i think there's only so many bands really throughout history that have done that you know and um you know we're working as i said with a band called nova twins at the moment and that they've achieved quite a lot with this record and and a lot of the time rock because working in in the rock area especially modern alternative rock um 
you know, we are in a different time and radio and, you know, some of the records that you would have worked, Tony, back in the day that would have broken through, very few bands in rock alternative come through that route anymore where you just get a track that it hits radio and and all of a sudden it's really big. I'm seeing so many parallels in, in, you know, how rock bands are building again, because they're basically saying, we're not going to make those compromises. We're going to do the music we want. We're going to play shows. We're going to give audiences, you know, great experiences. We're going to cultivate and work with our fans to give them the best possible experience, you know, keep ticket prices at the right level. And, um, and now rock is, is a much bigger community again, even though it stands outside the mainstream it's become a big business because the live music business is so buoyant, especially after the pandemic, you know, kids are desperate. People want to go out. They want to see bands. And um, I'm seeing so much fantastic stuff happening in, in, in the alternative rock world. Uh, you know, it feels like it's a rebirth again. And uh, it's very exciting. Excellent stuff from Steve Tanner, formerly of IRS records and now running Marshall. You've been listening to Moments That Rock. All I can add to Steve's comments is don't compromise your integrity. Great stuff, what he said about the bands, R.E.M. and U2. And they achieved what they achieved through a lot of their own doing. We'll be back next week with Chris Difford from Squeeze sharing his Moments That Rock. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.